Sorry, but we're excited to be able uh, to close out our series uh, that we've been in since the beginning of January, this series about expectations. And when I say expectations, I mean not just believing that God can work around me, in me, and even through me this year, but that God will, of living with the expectancy, with living every day with the belief that God is going to do something through me, around me, in me this year. It's one thing just to say, I believe he can. It's another thing to say, I'm going to choose to believe he will. And for those of you who are still on the fence with that, you're just, I'm just not so sure I'm that kind of person. I'm not so sure God does those kinds of things through people like me. Uh, it breaks my heart because I feel like you're probably not going to experience that. And at times you're going to be tempted to think it was because of something you did or some uh, way that you are. And the truth is God says when we don't expect it, uh, we shouldn't uh, expect to receive it if we don't have that kind of believing faith. And so I want to encourage you just to lean into that, maybe for the first time, and say, God, even someone like me, if your story is genuine and authentic and real, uh, there's proof here that even someone like me can be a world changer. And that's, that's my desire for you, um, to experience what it is to have God work around you, in you, and through you in this year. Several years ago, when my kids were a lot smaller, we were in Nashville, and we were at a mall, which we haven't been able to say in probably the last decade or so. I don't know when the last time I was at a mall, but we were at a mall. My kids were maybe five and seven, seven and nine, something like that. I don't remember exactly when, but we walked by, and as we were heading uh, down one side of the mall, the, uh, the hallway, I looked to my left, and we passed a man coming by by himself. And I looked up, saw him, looked down at my kids. We took a few more steps, and I leaned down and told my son, Brock. I said, Brock, that was Eli Manning right there. He said, no. I said, it was. He said, why is he here? I said, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know, but that was Eli Manning. My daughter said, well, we're going to go talk to him, aren't we? I was like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I, I don't want to do that thing. And so in the moment, it all happened really quickly, but I just turned and said, Eli. And he stopped and turned around and and he motioned to come on. So we walked over there and I said, hey, I don't want anything, not trying to be weird. Just want you to meet my kids and say hello. And was, we couldn't just walk past you and not acknowledge that. And so he knelt down, talked to my son for a minute, asked him about stuff. And they talked about football for half a minute. And then my daughter was able to talk with him and say hello. And then we went on and did our thing. Now, I know you're glad to know this, but I didn't happen to have a Sharpie and an index card on me. Like, how odd would that have been? As, hey, I just happened to have, like, who walks around the mall with a Sharpie and a, a card? Or I happen to have a mini helmet, you know, and you can sign. Like, that just would not have been a thing. It would have been very strange if I had been prepared in that way. And I say that because I was not expecting to rub shoulders with greatness. Now, I didn't tell him he's my least favorite Manning or anything like that, but I, you know, I was... I was glad to be in the room with him, and he was incredibly nice. Um, so I was glad to have that experience, but I wasn't prepared for it. Because if I had been thinking, hey, I'm going to take my kids to Nashville, we're going to go out, and we're going to go see some stars, I would have not said, let's go to the mall. Like, that's not where I thought it would have happened. I would have tried to figure out where do rich people eat? Where do rich people hang out? What, what do they do? Where do they go? Where do famous people go when they don't want to be bothered? Because that's where I would start. I would not go to the mall. And yet at the mall was where we met him. And I just say that to say that as we go through this series of expectations, the temptation for us is to think, well, 
If God is going to do something spectacular, supernatural, something big, something unforgettable through me, then it's probably going to happen in some odd, uncommon, mysterious kind of way. And so we start looking for things that are out of the ordinary, and we start looking for strange opportunities, and we start looking for signs, something different, because we assume God's not going to work in the mundane. And when we do that, I think what we take a risk of is missing the plan that God has for us, because we're so busy looking for something that's out there and something's big and something that's unusual and mysterious. And that's just not the way he always works. Well, as we open up his word together today, I want us to begin with a word of prayer. Would you please join me? Father, in this moment, I pray that you would speak to your people. We're listening. Give us minds to understand your word. Give us hearts to believe your word. And give us hands that are willing to apply your word. We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, the Son. We love you, Father. Amen. Well, if we're going to expect God to do great things, we look back at his story and we look at the great things he's done. And while it's true that there were times when God parted seas and he spoke to people from within a fire, and he fed people breakfast courtesy of heaven as they woke up and found it on the ground around them. And at times he even spoke to them through livestock. There's literally a talking donkey in scripture. As we go back and we look at these moments, we're thinking, okay, that's how God moves. The truth is, most of the time when God did miraculous, supernatural, powerful, memorable things through his people, he often did them in common ways. In less than, with less than surprising beginnings. We remember the others because they're so strange. But most of the time, God worked with what his people had. And so in a desire to try to help you get to a point where you're ready and expectant for God to move in your life, but not missing the obvious, I want us to ask five questions today. And with four of those five questions, we're actually looking at a case study. So we're going to bounce around a little in Scripture today. Uh, I tend to enjoy landing in one spot and staying for a while, but we'll probably do that next week. But we're going to bounce around a little today. But I want us to ask ourselves five really important questions. Number one is, what comes naturally to me? If we're trying to predict what it is that God's going to do around us and in us so we don't miss it, to be aware at least of how he might be moving and what he might be planning for me this year, for you this year, we need to first ask the question, what comes naturally to me? What are the things that I do that just is so natural, it's just normal, it's who I am. I don't even think about it being different because all of you are gifted people. You have spiritual gifts, and those are outlined throughout Scripture, the gift of teaching and encouraging, hospitality, the gift of faith, uh, different spiritual gifts that are listed in different places, especially in the New Testament letters from a man named Paul. So we have those spiritual gifts that are obvious in many ways, but you've also been gifted with abilities and talents that God has placed in you, and you've been given the opportunity to work on those, to refine those, to get better at those. And if you just look at it as, well, this is how God gifted me so that I could put food on my table, I think you're missing something here. Because God placed within you talents and abilities that are unique to you that not everyone has. 
And some of you are so humble, you're just, you assume that anyone could put the time into developing the same kind of thing that you do, and anyone could get there, and they cannot. When we're kids, we're told you can do anything you put your mind to. That is not true. It is absolutely not true. There are some of you who could say, today, I'm going to be a singer, and you are not going to be able to sing. Or I'm going to become a painter, or I'm going to become a welder, or I'm going to become a doctor, or I'm going to be... There are just some things that you will not do because God has not given you that foundation to be able to develop that. But you don't often see it as a gift, and so you miss the fact that God's the one that gave you that gift, that gift of compassion, that gift of problem solving, that gift of being able to work with your hands, that gift of being able to see things other people don't see, that gift of being able to make melody, that gift of being able to put some thoughts into words, that those are all gifts that God has given you. And there's a really good chance that if God is going to use you in that powerful kind of way this year that we're praying for, he's going to begin by using some of those talents and gifts he's already given you. He's not going to change your gifting. He's going to say, I'm going to use this because I'm the one that gave you these gifts. The case study that we're going to have here is Peter. And if you have a Bible in the book of Matthew chapter 4, we've got this story of Jesus calling his first few disciples. Peter was apparently, at least from Matthew's account, the first here. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, notice what Jesus didn't say here. Jesus didn't show up and say, I am going to change the world. I need some revolutionaries. I need some religious experts And I know you fish and all, but I can fix that. Come on and follow me. I'll give you a different skill set. I'll give you different talents. He said, no, you fish, good. Now I'm just going to show you how the gifts that you already have are going to be turned around to be able to make an eternal difference. His words were, I'm now going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to take you as you are with the gifts that I gave you at your creation, and now you're going to use those gifts for a much greater purpose. So what comes naturally to me? Peter, Andrew, James, and John would have said, well, we, we, you know, we'd like to fish. We'd like to be outside. We have a lot of patience. We have a lot of perseverance. We also have a lot of initiative. Like, we, we like this thing. And Jesus said, that's what I need. Come on, you follow me. And there are some gifts and talents and abilities that you have that you feel like are over here in the take care of myself, put food on my table category And there's this, God, what are you going to do with me over here? They're probably going to be very similar. Because God gave you those gifts in the first place, knowing the story that he was going to write for you now. At times, God may do something out of nowhere, out of the blue. You may get home today and you get out of your car and you walk towards your apartment or your house. 
and you have a shrub that's on fire and God speaks and says, don't come any closer. I mean, maybe you have one of those moments, but probably not. Probably instead, God is going to give you an opportunity and invite you to use the gifts and talents that he's already placed in your life, in your care, and use those as a part of that supernatural thing that he wants to do around you and in you and through you this year. And if you're just looking for the supernatural, the, the fire and the, the wow factor, you might miss that God's already in the process of getting things rolling and inviting you to be a part. Question number two, what fulfills me? And depending on what generation you're a part of, you might just wanna write, what fires me up? What gets me excited? What gets me going? What fuels me? What is my passion? But what fulfills me? In other words, there's probably something unique about you that you at times even hide because it seems weird. You just get kind of worked up and excited in a good way over things that no one else seems to care about. You know, we all know that feeling when you hear a song and you're like, you dig in the song and then you wait until you're around people that you like and you play it for them and then they can't even pay attention. Like, stop, listen, isn't this great? Yeah, that's cool. Like, no, you're, you're not getting, or you have a movie that you watch and you plan your entire Friday night over, hey, come watch this movie with me. And at the end, they're going, so who is the main person? Like, stop, like you missed the whole, how did you not get it? It's the greatest, people just don't get it. And there are probably some things about your life that you get excited about that no one else just seems to share. And after a while, you feel kind of weird, feel like a freak. Like, why is no one else excited about this? Like, I get into this stuff. And perhaps it's because God chose to make each of us in a unique kind of way. And he had a plan for you, and it would require your attention in a certain area that other people are just not going to give. And the case study here is a man named Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote Acts. Um, the next book in the New Testament. And most people believe that Luke and Acts were actually one giant book and they just were separated with an obvious uh, separation from the time Jesus left to the time the church began. But it, maybe that was just one great book in the beginning. But when it comes for word for word, it's, half, it's tw- rather quarter, 25% is not half. 25% of our New Testament is in Luke and what we know as Acts. Now, I want to share with you the beginning of Luke because we don't read it often. Just a few weeks ago, we were in Luke with the Christmas story, uh, aka five years ago, it feels like, but just a few weeks ago. And in Luke chapter one, verse one, listen to how the story begins. He said, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Anyone have those verses tattooed on an ankle or like that's that's your favorite verse? Probably not. That's just, okay, why why, why are you writing this? Luke says, listen, I, I know that there are already other books written but I want to write an account of Jesus because I'm a doctor and I want to do this investigation and I want to have eyewitnesses and I want to interview people and I want to put this together in a more orderly account because I think some things were left out and I just want to write a different kind of book here. 
And I can imagine Luke talking to his friends. They said, where are you going? I'm on a journey. I'm going to write a book. What are you going to do? I'm going to write all about Jesus. Well, did Mark already do that? Yeah, but I'm going to do it too. It's great. Okay, you have a practice. You're a doctor. Like you have a life. Yeah, but I really want to write this book. Well, we already have one. And what you don't know is we're going to have four in the end. So why, why are you doing this now? I don't, I just, I've got to. I want to write it differently. I, I'm going to add some things to it. And I'm so glad that Luke was willing to lean into his strange side. I'm so glad that Luke was willing to lean into who he was and say, I'm going to do this. As I want to make sure that the people who read this, they get it and they know that this is trustworthy. I'm going to talk to eyewitnesses. I'm going to talk to people who were there. I'm going to go to Mark's account. I'm going to make sure that things line up here. And then I'm going to make more of a chronological, orderly flow here. And I'm going to tell the whole story, stuff that was left out. In fact, I'm going to start with the birth of Jesus, and, and for the life of me, I can't figure out why no one wants to put down why they even went to Bethlehem. So I'm going to explain about the census. I'm going to explain what was going on then. And then the shepherds, like no one's talking about them. They were the first people to see Jesus. I'm going to include the shepherd in my account on here, and then we're going to continue moving on. And I'm so glad he did. There's so much we would have missed without Luke's account. And there were times in my own life when I've had to go back and read and reread the story of the prodigal son to remind myself that when I get a long way off from where God wants me to be and I turn and go home, that the father is running after me. And we would never have that parable unless Luke decided it was important enough to put in his gospel. And then you get to the book of Acts and he writes the beginning of the church. Now I'm thankful for all the letters of Paul um, but I don't know that I would enjoy them as much if I didn't know who Paul was and where he came from, and Luke included all of that. There are going to be things that you get excited about that no one else seems to care about. And don't let that be the reason you just drop the ball. Lean in and just understand that God may be doing something unique in you that's different from everyone else. And that's a reason to celebrate, not a reason to shrink back into the shadows. So what is it that fulfills me? What gets me going? The third question, what burdens me? If what fulfills me or fires me up or gets me going is on the positive side of things, now we get to the other side. What is it that burdens me? What am I unusually burdened about? Like there's something that everybody else should know is going on, but it doesn't seem to bother anyone. But it hits me hard. I can't let this thing go. I'm even losing sleep over this, and no one else seems to care. What is the problem? And when God begins to stir, when God begins to give you a burden for things that other people don't seem to be burdened for, don't, don't run from that. Because it may be that God's wanting to do something different and something unique and something new, and he's going to use your uniqueness to pull it off. He's going to work through that burden that you have. We don't have time to go into his entire story, but the case study here is the person of Nehemiah. In the Old Testament, and we've covered him several times here in the last couple of years, but Nehemiah was a man who was in the palace. He was a, a bit of royalty serving the king in his country, but he wasn't from that place. He was from another place. And where he was from, it was broken down and desolate. It was Israel, and the walls were no more, and it was just rubble and trash, and people were making fun and laughing at the place, and he realized that he couldn't protect himself. Israel would never be able to be strong and healthy and whole again without walls, and he said, something's got to be done. 
In Nehemiah chapter one, verse four, when he heard what was really going on, it said, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The people that came and gave him that news weren't in that same emotional state. They said, yeah, things are awful. Things are terrible. But, you know, we're safe here. And they moved on. Nehemiah said, I can't deal with this. I cannot. He sat down and he cried and he mourned and he fasted and he waited for that opportunity to do something about it. And most great things began with a burden. Someone saying, I can't let that go. That place needs hope. That person needs help. That situation is not right. There's an injustice that needs to be fixed here. There's something that has to happen here. Something has to be done. And not everyone is going to feel that. Not everyone is going to share that burden. So when you get that, understand that that's something to lean into because it's something unique that God is doing in your life. The fourth question, what has shaped me? And this is significant. This is us going back into our story saying, what have I experienced along the way that has made me who I am today? The good, the bad, the ugly. What are the blessings that I've experienced and the, and the, the great things that have happened around me that have put me in a place where I'm able to do what I'm doing? And what are the disappointments that I don't want to ever relive but I'll never forget and I need to remember because they've made me who I am. What has shaped me? Some of you have stories that would break others' hearts if they knew what was really going on and what you had really been through. And some of you are so tough and so strong and the fact that you just survived everything you went through is a testimony to the fact that God has never let you go and he's been your strength. But all of us have been shaped by circumstances and, and uh, experiences in our lives. And God doesn't waste a hurt. Most of the time, God is going to one day help you see, I can do something about this. I can turn my hurt into a help for someone else in this situation, as long as I'm willing to remember, as long as I'm willing to embrace this part of my own experience. What has shaped me? And the case study here is, is a man named David. Now, we pick him up as a child. He's a kid. He's not even old enough to go off to battle. And so he's a shepherd. He's at his home doing what shepherds do, taking care of sheep. And while he's there, his dad comes to him one day and says, I want you to go check on your brothers who are soldiers in the army and go make sure they're okay because they're doing battle now. They're facing the Philistine army, and I know that's going to be a difficult task. Go, go check on them. And he goes to check on his brothers, and at the time he gets there, he finds out things are really, really bleak for his people. The Philistine army is on the other side. They're taunting and yelling and shouting and cussing back and forth at the Israel army, saying, you're weak, you're afraid, your God is no God at all. How in the world could you not even take a stand here? How can you not fight us? We'll send out our best man. You send out your best man. Let's just settle this right here. No one will do anything about it. So David shows up and says, I'm in middle school. I know what to do. I, got, I can handle this. And everyone looks at him and laughs and says, you don't, you're too small. You, you don't understand what's going on. Go back home. Go back home. And look at David's response in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David said to King Saul, 
your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of this lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He's aware of the situation and it cut him deep. And he said, at the very least, someone has got to do something. Someone has got to meet this guy. We can't just sit back. So others questioned his motives. Even his own brothers criticized him and said, you're just in this for your own glory. You're jealous, so just go back home and stay away. He said, I can't do it. Because from my perspective, David talking, from my perspective, why else was I in a position at my age to stare down bears and stare down lions if I wasn't being prepared for this all along? that God was allowing me to be in these circumstances, experience victory, to get me ready for this day where with no fear I would face that man over there. So in verse 40, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So he doesn't grab a sword. He doesn't grab the helmet. If you know the story, you know, he tried on the armor of a soldier. He couldn't wear it. It was too big. So he just took what he had. He said, I am going to experience victory today. God's going to work around me, in me, and through me for his glory today. And I'm just going to use what I got because he's been preparing me this entire time. I've got my story. I've got my experience I have my abilities, I have my talents, I've got a unique burden that no one else seems to share, and this thing is moving me, and I, I, I can't sit still, I'm moving on. I'm allowing my heart to tell me what's right, and this is right, so I'm going to fight him with what I've got. And then in verse 50, it says, David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And some of you are wandering through life with a pocket full of all you'll ever need to change the world. And you're just sitting back wondering, when's God gonna give me the opportunity? When is he gonna give me the resources? When is he gonna give me the experience? When is he gonna give me the influence? When is he gonna give me the opportunity? When this has little to do with God giving you something else and more to do with you being willing to step out with what he's already given you. Because we can just sit back all day and say, I'm waiting on my moment, waiting on my moment, waiting on my moment when God along and said, why do you think I allowed you to get through all that stuff? Why do you think I allowed you to endure all that? Why do you think I gave you the strength in those moments? Why do you think I gave you those talents and abilities? Why do you think I made you the way I made you, unique and even odd at times? And from your perspective, it was for this. I've got you ready for this. Now, each of those questions was a pretty self-centered kind of question. And I don't want us to ever open up the story of God and leave just wondering, what does it say to me? Because when we just open up God's word and just try to find ourselves in the pages, we're going to be very disappointed because this is not about us. So there's another question we're going to ask here in just a moment. But I want to take you back to a, a time when we were all a lot younger just to grasp this. When we were kids, and all of us were at one point in time, uh, when we were kids, 
we would sit in our desk and the teacher would bring by at times little coloring pages and lay them down or, or blank pages and give us our box of crayons and say, you know, let's, we're, we're going to create this, we're going to make this, or this is the objective, or just make whatever you want, or this is just like free, free time with your art, or whatever it was. So we would sit there in our little desk, and for me, dating myself a little bit, we'd, we had to slide sideways into our desk, and there was always a nice assortment of gum and other sticky things up underneath our desk, and we're sitting there all sideways in our desk, and we've got our little crayons and that little slot at the top that we try to put all the crayons there, and we're, we're drawing and the teacher's habit usually was to come by and just see what we're doing. Hey, what are you making there? What do you call that? What's that a picture of? Oh, a yellow sun. That's unique. You know, like all the, looking at all of our arts. But it was just do whatever you want to do. And the teacher's going to come by and say, good job. What have you done with the time I've given you? What have you done with the colors I've given you? What have you done with the paper I've given you? And if we're not careful, we carry that into our adult lives that one day we'll just stand before God and God will say, well, show me what you made today in class. And we, here's what I made. Oh, okay, well, good. I, I gave you those talents. I gave you those abilities. I, that, that was creative. And I, I like that. And that's not at all the story of God. God says, I've given you this with a purpose and I am on the move and I'm inviting you to join me in my move. I'm inviting you to join me in what I'm doing. Because ultimately, your gifts and talents and opportunities aren't about you, it's about my story, and I'm inviting you to be a part. So the fifth question to ask is, what is God doing now? Once we realize what we actually have in our pockets, not smooth stones, obviously, but what we've been given, our talents and our abilities, the things that fire us up and that we're interested in, those, those burdens along the way, and even those experiences. What, once we realize all those, now we sit back and say, God, show me what you're up to so that I can take what I have and I can join your story and be a part of a revolution. Because on my own, me doing my thing with my stuff is just about me. But this is about you. So my encouragement for you today is to begin to pray a prayer that maybe you're not normally praying. Is God, show me what you're doing around me so that I can join this story and play the part that I've been created to play. God, show me where you're at work. Show me what you're doing. Help me to see your movements along the way so that I can be a part of that. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation is a little different. My encouragement for you is to decide, do you want to spend the rest of your life trying to come up with your own understanding of meaning? Or are you willing to say, God, if you really made all that I see and you're inviting me to know you just as I am, knowing you just as you are, and all you're asking is for me to place my life in your hands, then I'll do that. I'll do that. If you change me, you change me. But the bottom line is, I want to be known. I want to be known by you. And that's the invitation I share with you. But let's all of us pray here in this moment. Father, you have begun a work around us. You're doing a work in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our cities. And you're inviting us to be a part of that. 
God, our talents and abilities, those moments we've been given, those are not for us and us alone. Those are to fit into your story. So God, show us where we fit in. Help us to see your hand at work so that we can join you. And God, for the men and women who are in this place who they may be religious, they may be churchy, but they know in their hearts they've never experienced renewal. They've never been reborn. I pray right now that we would trust you and take you at your word. You said, whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. And I pray for the courage to believe, to be granted those in this place. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for never giving up on us. God, the part that we looked at today regarding our stories, that's a hard one. It's hard to look back on the tears. It's hard to look back on the disappointment. It's hard to look back on the failures. It's hard to look back on the unmet expectations and have anything but regret and anger and frustration. But God, even that is useful in your hands. You can work through even that. Because from beginning to end, God, you have been so, so good. And I pray now that we'll be able to find the courage to say for the good and for the bad, we thank you, God, and we give you our lives. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus.